0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message.
1: Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord.
0: As we get into your word, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to receive what you have for us here. And we're so thankful that you speak to us through your word, that you've not just left us with our own imaginations and our own thoughts, but you've actually spoken your truth to us in a written book that we can look at together and we can be alive into by your spirit. What a blessing, Lord. And we just, we gathered here as your children and we pray that you'd speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So we're in Romans 10, and uh, we're looking at the the second half of it, so starting in verse 13. And um, it works out really great that this would come together. This work came together really well. And if you're like me, you need a reminder about your role in the mission of God. If you're like me, you need a reminder of that. We've been through a year that's very self-focused, haven't we? Kind of insulated in our homes, thinking of our own needs, thinking of all the things we're deprived of and places we can't go and things we can't do. And we've become very kind of focused on ourselves. And uh, I'll just confess, I had a very uh, awkward moment with Paige and with Rebecca and Val when they first told me about the trip. They were like, hey, we're going to go on a missions trip. We're going to go to Nicaragua. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'm like, I've been to Belize on vacation. That was really neat. And then they they start talking some more about it. I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I think it's going to be a lot hotter than Belize. And, you know, I was kind of talking like this. and, And Val goes really nicely. She says, Eric, it's a missions trip, and I was like, oh, yes, right, I remember those, you know what I mean? I was like, somehow I was thinking about like vacation or something. I think we've all gotten that way, haven't we? We've all kind of thought of ourselves, and we've kind of thought of the things we want to do and stuff like that, and have forgotten this mission, and so it's really great that we have this opportunity to be ministered to by them, and also in Romans 10 here, just to be reminded of our mission, guys, because at this point in history, the place God's put us Those of us who understand the gospel like we do, the most important thing for us right now would be for us to regain our missionary identity. We've been sent, guys. We've been sent with a mission. We're here for a reason. You know, we're here to make an impact. Once we understand the gospel, which most of you do, any of you who have been with us for a while, the point from there on is to take that gospel to the nations. Take it to your neighbors. Take it to the nations. We need to recover, guys, our missionary identity. We're a missionary people. We're exiles. We're here for a purpose. And this text is really great on that. And I'm just going to call this tonight as we go through it, Four Maxims for Missionaries. A maxim is a, a statement of truth. And I see four statements of truth that should really help us, whether you're going to go on a trip like they are, or whether you're going to minister to people in your neighborhood, or somewhere even locally. You're going to go down to the beach to evangelize, or you're going to, you know, like Dave does, go up to a camp and evangelize. Wherever you're going to do it, that we have here four maxims for missionaries. The first maxim and the first truth is, No one believes the gospel without being told it, okay? No one believes the gospel without being told it. It seems really common that Christians today assume that if we neglect the mission God's given us, that somehow he'll just do it for us, okay? That's really common as you talk to Christians about it. But as we'll see in this text, that is not the case. God has designed his gospel mission to be done by human agents filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the way he's designed this is that his mission, his gospel mission, would be accomplished by human agents filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw in Romans 9 a couple weeks ago that God is sovereign in salvation, that God is ultimately the reason anyone comes to faith in Christ is because God had chosen for the foundation of the world and it empowered them to come. God is utterly sovereign in salvation. And then we also saw, in addition to that, that human beings are responsible. And so there was this tension that we were looking at a couple of weeks ago, that God is 100% sovereign in salvation, and yet human beings are 100% responsible for their rejection of Jesus. Both are true. We don't understand how both are true, but they're both true. We have something similar going on here in Romans 10. We see in Romans 9, God's sovereign. He will save those he chooses. And then we see in Romans 10, Romans 10 tells us that he'll only save them through the words of human agents like you and me. Okay. God has this plan, this plan to save people from every nation, but Romans 10 tells us that he only saves them through words of human agents like you and me. He does it through people, he does it through means. No one believes the gospel without being told it. Take a look at verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've never believed? And how will they believe in him whom they've never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? One of the ways we tend to kind of comfort ourselves with our apathy about the mission, which creeps in very well. I mean, my story, you know, I don't like confessing publicly, things like that. But my story shows, guys, that we're all susceptible to this, this apathy that grows for God's mission. And one of the ways we comfort ourselves in that is we go, you know, God will just complete it for us if we don't do it. You know, like, and, and you've heard people say, people will sit around and, and surmise and say, you know, God is just. And if there's somebody out there that, that really wants to know God and really wants to reach out to him and, and no missionary comes and no evangelist comes, I'm sure God will reach out to them somehow and they'll get saved and God will do it that way. Guys, our text is just the opposite. Our text says that they won't believe unless someone tells them. Every one of those questions in verses 14 through 15 implies the answer they won't. Let me show you. How will they call on him whom they never believed? The implied answer is they won't. Next one. How will they believe in whom they've never heard? Implication, they won't. How will they hear without someone preaching? Implied, they won't. And how will they preach unless they're sent? They won't. The logic of this text is that human agents are absolutely essential for God's plan. And that doesn't mean you're absolutely essential for God's plan. God can use anyone, but God will use someone. God uses human agents for his mission. No one believes the gospel without being told. And, you know, guys, Romans 1 actually told us what happens when there's people that don't have the gospel and they see the evidence for God in nature. What does it say they always do? They suppress the truth and unrighteousness and make idols. Like Romans 1 already told us what happens when people see evidence for God in creation and no one brings them the gospel. They suppress the truth and create idols. And, and guys, the gospel, as you know, is so counterintuitive that no one would arrive at it without someone telling them. Gospel is counterintuitive. It's not what we thought. It's not, it's not the way we're wired to think. Remember last week we talked about the difference between the gospel and man-made religion. Man-made religion is you trying to establish your own righteousness, Right? And the gospel is you submitting to the righteousness God's given you in Jesus. Those are very different things. And our natural default mode of, our, of the human heart is to think that we need to establish our own righteousness. The gospel is completely the opposite of what we'd ever think. It goes against the way we think about acceptance before God. And you guys know this, right? Because how often do you fall back into that mindset? How quickly, even knowing the gospel, do you start to kind of think of your assurance before God and your your relationship with God based on what you do, on your deeds, right? You fall back into this all the time because this is the natural mode of the human heart. And that explains, guys, why there's such a boring lack of diversity in religions, okay? Now, there are superficial variety. You know, you got like frog headed gods, you know, and you got nice gods, and you got sneaky gods, and you've got multiple gods, and you've got singular gods. And, you know, you've got multi-headed gods. Okay, there's some diversity in it. But what it always comes down to, guys, is self-righteousness. It always comes down to you save yourself, whether it's in the Egyptian religion where they, you know, take out your heart and weigh it on a scale, or whether it's in the Muslim religion where your your deeds are weighed, or whether it's by Buddhist karma or uh, by Mormon work salvation. It's just a bunch of different ways of saying the same thing. Self-righteousness you need to bring your own righteousness to God, right? I mean, it all kinda, It's funny how it all boiled down to the same thing because that's the way we naturally think, guys. The gospel is so counterintuitive that no one's going to arrive at it just by accident. They have to be told the gospel. And that's why we don't see anything like the gospel springing from any of the religions of the world or any of the philosophies of the world. Um, years ago, I remember we were at our dinner table and I was talking to the boys when they were really little. And I said, well, I thought, well, this is probably a good time to like see what uh, what they believe about the gospel and I said so hey how can you know you're going to heaven and they were like basically I mean, the answer doing good things and I was like okay well let's talk about the gospel then let's talk about like that we haven't done good things and Jesus is our righteousness and we trust in him and he's the one that makes us right before God and they were like okay good good and then I waited a little bit longer and I said so how do we know if we're going to go to heaven or not and they go by doing good things and I was like this is weird you know so did it again and we kept doing it and finally I just said you know This isn't a cognitive problem. It's not that they can't remember something like this, right? This is a spiritual thing, right? This is a a spiritual hindrance. This is the default mode of the human heart. And that's why, guys, no one believes the gospel without being told it. The gospel is so counterintuitive. And there's a lot of people in this world that do not have access to the gospel right now. There's a good way to think about this called people groups. Have you guys heard of the idea of people groups? It's a group of people within which there's a similar language and geography and stuff like that so that they could speak to one another and the gospel could travel within that sphere, okay? And nobody would have to go outside of a language, outside some significant barrier. So there's all these people groups. There's about 17,400 of them or something like that, people groups. And then there's unreached people groups. These are groups of people in which there's less than 2% Christians. And the idea is, is that you know if there's less than 2% Christians, it's going to be very hard for that group to evangelize the rest. So those are called unreached people groups. And um, our missionary, Lorian, she's on furlough right now. She's going to visit us in the fall. But she's actually a missionary in the Middle East. And she's doing translation work for a group that does not have the Bible. They're a legit unreached people group in the Middle East. She'll be talking to us in a couple of months. Danny here, who's a, he's a professor at CBU, he's do, doing a documentary on an interesting unreached people group, which is deaf immigrants. So it's a, an unreached people group. So there's certain barriers that, you know, you need a certain amount of gospel influence into there for the gospel to spread. And so there's these unreached people groups. There are about 17,400 people groups and 7,400 of them are unreached. And they're all different sizes and stuff. But guys, that's our mission, Right. That's our mission. When Jesus, who is our master, our leader, when he said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, ethne, which means basically a people group, not necessarily a political nation, but groups of people. Go, may, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even at the end of the age." And so, our mission is that as a church, as the church, is to bring the gospel to every people group. And here's an interesting thing to think about that. In Matthew 24, Jesus said this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all ethnic, all people groups, and then the end will come. So, Jesus actually said, when this mission is accomplished, he will return. Isn't that amazing? So missions is about the glory of God. Missions is about a love for our neighbor. And missions is also about how would you like Jesus to return? Like all those things fit into the same thing. And of course, guys, there's still people in every reached people group that have not heard the gospel. There's people all around you that have not heard the gospel. And you say, well, how is that possible? It's possible. Those of you who have shared the gospel, many of you, know that you often will talk to people and they're like, I've never heard it like that before. Now, whether they have or not, Who knows? But the Spirit finally opened their eyes in such a way that they heard it. You know, There's hearing it and hearing it. You know, But there's a lot of people in our area that have not heard the gospel. They do not understand the way of salvation. There's a lot of people that think of evangelicals as a voting block. When they hear evangelical, they think voting block. But they don't know what the evangel is. The word evangel means gospel. So these are the gospel people. Oh, yeah, I know. They're the ones who vote for this or that. No, 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 no. The gospel people have the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? right? That's a job that we need to do. That's something for us to do in this community is to make sure all the people around us at least know the message of the gospel, right? Think about your neighbors and think of how many of them, well, first of all, think of how many of them go to church. It's a very small number, probably, when you think about it. And now that we're at four o'clock, you can kind of watch, you know, you like sit around the neighborhood and see who's leaving tonight. Um, So it's probably a very small number. And then out of those people that don't, like how many of those people actually know the gospel message that you know? It's probably quite small. That's our mission. That's your mission. That's your mission of your family. That's our mission as a church. If you guys have ever wondered like what you're doing here, that's what you're here to do. That's our mission, guys. And I know in our age and stuff, there's a lot of talk about kind of the emptiness of modern life, and people tend to feel real empty, and they tend to feel like, why are they here? It's probably because the mission has been drained out of your life. You know, this is something that gives you a purpose. It gives you something to do. This is what we're here to do. And so if we drain our lives of the mission, we are going to feel pretty empty because there's only so many, like, carne asada burritos you can have. You know, there's only so many trips to the beach. And there's a point at which you go, like, what am I here for? You're here for the mission. And it's such a privilege. And I don't want to water down, there's a controversy about this, I don't want to water down the term missionary, but I also don't want to let us off the hook either, you know? Because a missionary that goes to another nation is a different thing than us. But guys, we're all missionaries. We're all here with a mission. Because you've been sent. Jesus said that to his disciples, just as the Father sent me, I send you. You've been sent, you're here, sent here. You have a mission, it's the Great Commission that I read. And you know what's really cool? you're at the ends of the earth in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. From Jerusalem's perspective, you are at the ends of the earth. And so what do you think like in the first century they would have thought Christians at the end of the earth out here would be doing? They'd be carrying on the mission, right? But we've gotten kind of comfortable and we have kind of thought like that we're not on the mission field when we are. And so the question would be, I mean, you sound like a missionary. If you're sent, you have a mission and you're at the ends of the earth, you sound like a missionary. And so the question is, How faithful are we in being missionaries? Are you regularly praying? How many people are you praying regularly would receive Christ? People in your own vicinity. Like, how often are you actively trying to get the gospel to them? So would it be to live missionally? We have to recover that, guys. Especially right now. You guys might feel like your whole culture is crumbling around you. Like, what should we do? This is what you should do. (laughs) This is the thing. This is the mission. This is even a better time to do it. So first maxim is, no one believes the gospel without being told. Second one is, your scars for the mission are beautiful. We tend to want to avoid this, and I know when I bring up evangelism, it's something that kind of gets people nervous because there's costs, right? There's awkwardness, you know, there's relationships. It's, it's not easy. You know when it tells you like evangelism tells a piece of cake, it's probably they have the gift of it. But for the rest of us, it's it's hard. And so we think about the costs, we think about the difficulty, and we tend to want to avoid those costs not knowing that those scars that you get from the mission are beautiful. Take a look at verse 15. He says, as it is written, beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Beautiful are the feet. Isn't that interesting? Why pick feet? Beautiful are the feet of those. You think it'd be the mouth or something, right? Beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. People in our area care a lot about their feet. Is that true? Yes. People are big on their feet. Did you realize that? People really care about, even in a pandemic. I mean, I remember last year at this time when you weren't really supposed to be inside or doing these things. There were people in parking lots under tarps and there were people working on sweaty feet in the parking lot. Yeah, that'd be a bad job, wouldn't it? People care about their feet, right? They care about the beauty of their feet. I was just thinking about, Paul says here that people who preach the gospel have beautiful feet. And I was just wondering like, what do you think Paul's feet look like? You ever thought about it? No? Okay. Well, this happens when you, like, meditate on scripture. Like, what? what did Paul's feet look like? Yeah, that's meditation. Join me. So I was wondering what his feet look like. So I told you a couple weeks ago, he traveled 15,500 miles as a missionary and probably about 8,700 miles on foot. So what do Paul's feet look like? Dirty, right? Dirty, kind of gnarled, needs a pedi, you think? Would we agree? We'd agree. Okay. Right? Needs the big nail clippers, you know, the ones that are for older individuals. Probably needs those, clean those feet up. Okay? But his feet were beautiful. Why? Because they were scarred from the mission. Paul used those feet. He wore those feet out. He he scarred up those feet. I just want to say to us tonight, all of us, me too, let's not die without some scars for the gospel. Let's not die in perfect condition. Let's not die going like, man, I'm really glad that we avoided any cost at all for this mission. You know? Man, it's a good thing we like didn't lose any relationships or feel awkward or lose any money or get hurt or anything. Not even our feelings hurt. Like, we don't want that, right? We want to show up with gnarled feet like Paul, right? Metaphorically, maybe literally. Those costs, guys, those losses, those scars are beautiful to Christ. I heard this story. John Piper told this story. It's a true story about evangelists in India. I love this story about feet, okay? He said this. There was once an evangelist in India who walked mile after mile. He was going from various towns to preach the gospel, And he didn't have any education, but he had a Bible and he loved Jesus and he was ready to lay down his life. And he came to a village that hadn't heard the gospel and he knew that. And uh, he's super tired from walking all over the place. He went inside anyway, went kind of in the town square, engaged in conversation with people, shared the gospel with them. They started like making fun of him and kind of pushing him around and they drove him out of town. Super tired, walks out of town, goes to a tree just kind of plops there because he just can't move anymore he's just exhausted but he doesn't know like is he safe doing this he has no idea because the village they were pretty angry and so he falls asleep totally exhausted totally discouraged and suddenly just before dark he's startled he woke up because the whole town was around him he's like okay this is when they kill me you know that's what he's thinking and one of the big men of the village he said this we came out to see what kind of man you are and when we saw your blistered feet we knew that you were a holy man we want you to tell us why you are willing to get blistered feet to come talk to us, and he shared the gospel and a whole bunch of unbelief. Isn't that amazing! And think about the lost around us. Do they see our blistered feet? Do they see what we're willing to go through to share the gospel? How scarred are your feet from the mission of the gospel? Think about it, just honestly. And I'm not, you know, I'm saying it to me and to you. But how much time has the gospel mission cost you? How much time has it cost you? How much money has it cost you? How much stress does it cost you? Let me ask you this. How much social anxiety has the gospel mission cost you? How much loss of sleep does it cost you? I mean, for missionaries, there should be some cost. You know, let's not die without any scars for the gospel. And I'm not sure what the mission should cost each one of you. I I don't have any way to figure that out. I don't know what the mission of the gospel should cost you, but it should cost you something, right? Right? I don't know how much it should cost me, but I know it should cost me something. I, I just know intuitively from Scripture that it should, it should cost me something. We have a mission that's clear and it's completable, and it calls us, guys, for a wartime mindset. You know, I was thinking about, like, during World War II. Everybody was in, right? Some people were deployed, like Lorraine's deployed in, in, into the Middle East. You know, some people are deployed, and the people at home, they used all their resources and time, and they lived in the, on mission as well, right? They were all a part of it. The command of Christ, guys, in the Great Commission means that we are, every single one of us, are called to use our energy and our time and our resources to finish the mission. It's a completable mission. It has the benefit of when it's completed, Jesus returns. So you could have that motivation too, right? But this is something we're all called to do. And some of you are called to, to be deployed, like Lorian got deployed. And some of you are probably called to be deployed and don't know it yet. But I'm hopeful that as we talk about it more that some of you will really feel like, okay, this is something I should do. It might be that last year with the pandemic, people's roots have been loosened. Have you noticed that? Like half your friends moved to Texas or Montana or something. People's roots got loosened up. What if some of you, your roots are getting loosened up to send you to some nation that needs to hear the gospel? That's a thing too. I mean, if you're really sick of California, Montana's not the only option, right? We got a list of places, 7,400 options for you of places you could be, places you could share the gospel. And then for the rest of us, this is our mission field. We're all sent with a mission. We're all at the ends of the earth. So we have a mission here. So if you're not sent, you're not like, oh, good, I'll send some money and I'm not sent. No, you're sent here. And so to think about your area as a context, and we all have different parts to play. There's kind of like a, an air war and a ground war, right? So air war, like what I'm doing right now is preaching. It's kind of disseminating the gospel more widely, right? And there's all kinds of ways to do air war. And then there's ground war, right? It's house to house, person to person, one-on-one. On one. We're all called to that. And so, guys, I just think this is an amazing privilege, and I think this is an amazing reason to live. I think it's an amazing reason to live. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel, who bring the good news. I mean, what better thing could you be living for than being the instrument to bring the gospel to somebody that was headed for hell so that they could be turned around and brought into heaven? And Jesus told that story about how those who've used the wealth of this world for, the, for ministry and the gospel, that they're going to be, he said, they'll be welcomed in the world to come into heavenly habitations. They're like there'll be people there welcoming them as they come, and they're going to be people that, were, that heard the gospel through you and through your efforts. It's amazing, guys. This is way more exciting than whatever financial or political cause has captured your heart. If you want to really make a difference, you really want to like fight for the soul of the culture, this would be the great place to start, right? This would be the place to do it. It would be to share the gospel. But it's going to cost you. I mean, anyone that says otherwise just lying to you, you know? They're selling something. In a Ten steps for easy evangelistic life, you know? Ten steps to share the gospel and have everybody like you that's not a thing you'll have scars a lot of you guys as I look around I won't linger but a lot of you do have scars as some of you have, have, have served in church environments you gave yourself to the mission of the gospel serving in church environments serving on the field or whatever and you got burned and you got hurt and people cut you right they hurt you you got scarred and what's really cool about this passage is, is that he says How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Like, those scars are something that you present to Jesus for his glory. And he's thankful for those. And I just think this is super freeing, guys, that instead of, like, constantly thinking about all the costs and trying to avoid them, we would just go, you know what? Those costs are not something to avoid. They're something to receive. And they're things of beauty before the Lord. So second maxim, your scars are beautiful for the mission. Third, you're simply the messenger. Because, guys... Of course, not everybody that you share the gospel with is going to thank you kindly, right? Sometimes they do, which is amazing and wonderful. And you're like, thank you for being so nice to me. You know, I wanted to share the gospel with you because I love you and I love Christ. You were so nice about it, you know, and like, this is a great interaction. But sometimes people aren't happy and they, and sometimes we tend to think that when we're rejected that there's something wrong with us, with our presentation or with us or, you know, somehow the rejections toward us. But look at verse 16. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what is heard from us? You're simply the messenger. We're all the messenger. And don't be thrown off, by the way, in verse 14 when it talks about preaching that word, cariso, it means to herald. Okay? That word preach. It doesn't mean like just what I'm doing right now. I am doing that, but it means something more. It means that you've been given a message by somebody, a superior, and that you're called to just give it to people. You're called to be a messenger. That's what it's about. And so all of us can preach in that sense. You were called to relay a message, a message of the gospel, and you're simply the messenger. I had this come home to me one time. Uh, I went to Mongolia three times. One of the times I was there, and it was accidentally. I made the wrong turn. and No, I'm just kidding. It's, you can't do that. Anyway, I was, in the, I was in Mongolia, and I was teaching on biblical view of sex. And I'm just being super frank. I'm a veterinarian, so we just talk about things, and it's not a big deal. And so I'm just talking about biblical view of sex and all this. And then afterwards, one of the Mongolians comes up and goes, you're a very brave man to talk like that. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe we don't talk about that here, you know, or in this way. And then I thought about my single female translator. And then she was translating all this, and I thought, I started to feel really bad. (laughs) You know, like, this is awkward for you more than me. And I said, you know, hey, sorry about that. I mean, I'm not sorry about what I said, but I'm sorry you had to say it because I, you know, wasn't a big deal to me. And this is what she said. It was so great. She goes, she goes, it doesn't bother me at all. I just say what you said. I'm the translator. And I was like, oh, cool. Really? And she goes, oh, yeah. I don't feel anything about it. I j- you know, I just, I give the message. I say what you said. I'm simply the messenger. You're simply the messenger. And we've got a lot of heart invested in this, but just when it comes down to it, you're delivering the message of the gospel. If they disobey it, they're disobeying God. So verse 16 says, you're simply the messenger. And you're going to run into people when you share the gospel, and you're going to get sometimes some very significant resistance. And that just reminds us, guys, that everybody has some kind of relationship with God. A lot of times we talk about, like, you need a relationship with God. Everyone has a relationship with God. Some people have a very bad one okay? Some people have made God their enemy, and they have not been redeemed and made right with God. They have a relationship with God, but it's a very bad one. It's one of resistance. It's a one of enmity towards God, and when you share the gospel with people like that, people that are very entrenched in their rejection of God, you're going to get some pretty strong reactions, but you're simply the messenger. I think it's super freeing to realize you're simply the messenger. Paul, in this day, when he wrote this, most of Israel in Paul's day was entrenched in their rejection of the Messiah. Most of them had heard the gospel. That's what Paul says here. Listen to verse 18. But I ask, have they heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out through the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. and a foolish nation, I'll make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We're going to get to the jealousy part. It's super cool. We're going to do it next week, though. But notice here in this text that what Paul's saying is he's saying that, that Israel had heard. The, the quote in verse 16 is actually a quote from Isaiah 53, that, that passage that Paige read earlier. It's a quote of Isaiah 53. Has anyone responded to our message or have they heard what we have said? verse 16, I'll read it for you. It says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what they have heard from us? That's the beginning of Isaiah 53. And you guys heard Isaiah 53. It's written 700 years before Jesus came. And it not only gives a very graphic description of the cross, but it also unpacks the meaning of the cross. It's actually a very incredibly powerful passage about justification by faith. And I mean, it's amazing. It's the whole gospel right there. They've had that message, right? They had that message for 700 years before Jesus came. They had that message. And Paul asks in verse 18, he says, have they not heard? And his answer is, indeed they have. Israel in Paul's day had heard the gospel through Isaiah 53, through the message of Jesus when he walked around on their own soil and produced miracles and showed himself who he was and he got resurrected on their own soil, and then through the preaching of the church. They had heard and they disobeyed the gospel call. Their reaction to Paul could be super severe too. You guys read about that in Acts? You know, he would come to a town and he always got like one speaking engagement, right? He could go because he was a teacher of the the, uh, Torah. He could show up in a synagogue and it would be like, hey, you want me to teach? And they're like, oh yeah, that'd be great. And he'd get one engagement at least. He would unpack the scriptures, he'd point to Jesus, maybe be invited back, maybe be run out of town. When he went to Thessalonica, he got driven out of town almost immediately. And then when he went down to Berea, which was like 40 miles away, they followed him. The Jews followed him to Escondido. Okay, that would be to Escondido. Like, how hot do you have to be about this? So they run him out of town. Paul runs down to Berea, which is like in Escondido. And they hear he's down there, and they're like, let's go get him. Let's walk 40 miles. This is an intense negative reaction. And Paul knew that he was simply the messenger. The real issue they had was with the Lord. Did you guys find it interesting that he talks about rejecting the gospel as disobedience? Verse 16, he says, they have not all obeyed the gospel it's kind of weird language isn't it and then verse 21 but if israel he says all day long i've held up my hands to a disobedient contrary people the gospel call guys to repent and believe is a command that interesting it's a command sometimes we don't either say it that way or we don't think of it that way like jesus is one in a potential list of life options jesus is a, a long list of potential ways you could express yourself you could adhere to Jesus, right? No, it's a command to repent and believe. It's a command like a, uh, a first responder saying, take my hand, right? It's a, it's a command like, get in the lifeboat. It's a command like, take this medicine. It's a command like, run from this city and do not look back. Right? It's a command like that. And it's, it's a command, guys, for us to let go of the idols that are going to cause us eternal misery and then grab hold of Jesus who will give us everlasting happiness. It's a command from heaven. Hebrews 12 says it this way. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warns on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. It's a command from heaven. And like Paul, you're simply the messenger. I find that incredibly freeing. I'm simply the messenger. This isn't my message. This is a message I've been given by God. I'm doing this for the glory of God. I'm doing this for the love of the person I'm giving it to. And I'm simply the messenger. Fourth one is the last one. Trust the power of the message. We, We tend to think, I think with evangelism, you guys probably relate to this, is that we tend to be hesitant to evangelize when we think about how eloquent or not we are, mostly not, or intelligent we are, or persuasive, or things like that. We think of our own, like, I'm not really good at this. You know, this isn't something I can do. As we think that way, we're going to be more and more timid as we think about our questionable persuasiveness and eloquence and intelligence. Instead, guys, we need to trust in the power of the actual message, that the message of the gospel has the power. Take a look at verse 17. For faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. So faith actually is created in the human heart by hearing the gospel message a lot of times we think we have to like climb in there and find the wires and fix something in somebody else's heart that's not what you need to do thankfully you do not know what you're doing it's like me when i have a car problem or something you know you open the hood and you i don't what am i looking at you know i don't know what i'm looking at but you know you're a man so you need to look you know you're like oh it must be this you don't know what you're doing your job is to give the gospel right and trust in the power of the gospel message which means that we should always have a list of people we're praying would receive the gospel, and we should be always looking for a way that we can give them that gospel message. And so there's a couple ways you could do that. You could do that through conversations. I think that's the most intimidating, probably, option. That's not the only option, though. We can give gospel books to people. We can send them audio messages, you know, that are real clear gospel presentations. We can give them tracks. Those still exist and are not a bad idea at all. People might like be like, wow, paper, what is this, you know? It might be intriguing. We can give them Bibles. I kind of like giving people individual books of the Bible so you can get just Luke or something instead of going like, here you go. And they start in Leviticus, which you can get Christ from any book, but it would be maybe quicker <laughs> to, to get them in the book of Luke or John or somewhere. that's more straightforward right off the bat. And then they can delve into the gospel in Leviticus later, which is really there and quite nice. A few books that I like, this one, uh, I've used a bunch. It's Tim Keller's book, Encounters with Jesus. This is a cool gospel book because what it does is it's, it's Jesus meeting a bunch of different people. A bunch of different people meet Jesus, different types of people. And I've used this several times where I've said, hey, you know, read the first, second chapter and we'll discuss it. And that way you don't feel like you have to Preach a sermon to them, you know, let the book do it. Say, hey, let's meet up. Let's discuss. You can do that with the Bible. It's a great way to do it. Gospel of Luke is really good. Gospel of John is awesome too. Gospel of John starts a little difficult. We don't realize how difficult it is, but it's super theological in the first chapter, which probably would be fine. But Luke starts with a a narrative they would understand a little bit better right off the bat. You could ask him, hey, why don't you read a couple chapters of this? We'll discuss it. And maybe ask questions like, what kind of person does Jesus seem like? Does just seem like the kind of person you could trust? Does he seem like the kind of person you'd want to follow? And get into that and then get into the gospel itself and ask them. Let them ask their questions, you know, hear their thoughts. Could be a great way to do it. So you give them an audio message, give them, you know, a book of the Bible, give them another book and just say, hey, let's meet up and talk. And I just want to hear your thoughts and answer your questions. And don't be afraid of that because you've got like tons of people that you could get your questions answered from if you don't know what it is. You can always say, I don't know. Let me check. People respect that. They prefer that to you making something up on the spot. Like, you know what? I'm not sure. Let me check. They're not going to be like, oh, this Christianity thing has to be false. You don't know everything about it. Nobody's going to do that, right? Nobody's going to do that. And you know a lot more than you think you do. So our whole goal, guys, would be that they would hear and understand the gospel message because the gospel message empowered by the Spirit has all the power needed to change their heart. Remember Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And Peter gives this really cool image too of the gospel being like a seed. You know, a seed doesn't look powerful or anything, but if put in the right place it grows into a huge plant and the gospel is like that right that the gospel is something that we give them and maybe it doesn't look like it has a whole lot of power in their lives or anything but all we need is the spirit to water that and just grow that into eternal life you know if they hear it and it's implanted it could take on a life of their own like in inception the seed that we plant in this man's mind may change everything right totally okay our role, guys, is simply to spread the seed, to give it to people, to give them the gospel. It is the power of salvation. It's not our intellect, not our eloquence, not our persuasiveness. You don't have to make anyone believe. Look at verse 17 again. For faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Freeing, isn't it? Isn't that great? We could do that. We could give them the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we uh, we thank you for the, the beauty of this... Uh, this message that it's all your son Jesus and his righteousness and we can have that righteousness by just believing and repenting of our sin and trusting in him and it's just amazing amazing message and we pray Lord that you would make us more and more faithful to bring it I just pray that in our church among us and our friends that we would have more and more a missionary mindset that we would live missionally that we'd be here really clear that we've been sent. We've been sent here with a mission. We've been sent here by you for a completable task. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us from becoming distracted with so many other things, some of them very good things, but not what we're here for. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be clear on that. And uh, Lord, as we worship you and we take the Lord's Supper, we pray, Lord, that that you would be blessed by this worship and that we would be filled by your spirit. And We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.